1: Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe, it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, the creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Today on Everyday Theology, we get the pleasure to have a conversation um, with Carolyn Custis-James, She is a a writer and an author and a blogger and someone who is really on the forefront of helping uh, reframe the ideas of patriarchy and egalitarianism that we so desperately need in the church. Uh, So thank you so much, Carolyn, for being with us today.
0: It's a pleasure.
1: I also have the pleasure of having with me one of my colleagues, Melissa Archer. It's her first time on the podcast and very excited because Melissa is also very passionate about the subject and has been a huge help for me in in rethinking things that I need to rethink. So Melissa, thanks as well for being with us. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. Um, Carolyn, would you introduce yourself a little bit to our guests, let them know a little bit about you, uh, your background, where you're coming from and why you've been so kind of on the forefront of this conversation?
0: Yes. I would, when I, um, opened one of my books, I said, sometimes when you're searching for answers, you get more than you bargained for. Um, <laughs> and I think for me, Um, You know, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up on the Bible, I grew up in the church, and um, with a very confident sense of what the Bible was saying to me as a woman, uh, and believing the message that I received, that I would find my highest calling as a woman in marriage and motherhood. And in a lot of ways that um, led me not to take a lot of things seriously in my own life. Um, You know, you're sort of waiting for someone to come and make your life interesting and to be the story. And instead of having that happen when I graduated from college, I hit a 10 year stretch of singleness. And, Mm. you know, I think the idea of searching for answers means that at some point you got into a place where you had you had to ask questions, and you know all of the hard things that we experience in our different stories are opportunities to learn and grow. And I feel like those ten years, as hard as they were, um, were pivotal in what I do now. Because I had to ask, you know, am I going to miss what God has created me for? Um, And, you know, for me, the question was never about women's ordination or women in ministry leadership. I was in a, you know, in a community, a a Christian community where that was never an option. It was not under discussion. Mm, And um, even when I went to seminary, it, it didn't come up. Um, but what did come up was what is God's message for me as a woman? And is it something I can miss? Is it something, as I looked around and saw other women's stories, is it something we can lose? Is it something we can have taken away from us? Is it something, you know, we can ruin? And, um, so for me, the question wasn't, so much about women and leadership. It was about all of us. Is the Bible's message big enough for all of us? Does it begin mm, and yeah. does it end when, you know, does it stretch out for the full extent of our stories? Uh, I went back to Scripture, one to answer that question for myself, and what i found was as i said more than i bargained for and it has been utterly earth-shaking for me and life-changing and um and i i have spent the last 20 years trying to get that message out to other women uh it it doesn't matter if they you know where they land on the spectrum of the discussion about women in ministry—they are called to give everything to the service of our King, and uh, women uh, are are mobilizing in all sorts of different ways. They—I uh, have met with little girls in middle school who are reading my books and are just on fire. I've I've encountered mm, yeah. women, women in their 90s who are asking God what He wants them to do with the rest of their lives, <laughs> and, they're, and they're getting assignments. You know, it's just, but it's like who who can we spare, and you know who's who's going to say this far and no further. Um, so that has been the the core of my work and just going back to scripture and unpacking this bigger message that's been there all along. And what happened in the process is that I've, you know, I've done a lot of work. I mean, I'm, I'm my, the foundation of my work is Genesis one and two, because that's the only pre-fall information we have. Yeah. And so it's God vision casting and it matters. And every other text in scripture must come under the scrutiny of that text. And so, you know, I wasn't thinking about patriarchy. I was just thinking about how is God working in the lives of his daughters? And um, in my study of women in the Bible, I started encountering men that we've ignored or diminished, uh, whose stories show the gospel transformation Mm. in a man's life. Men like Judah, Jacob's son, number four, gets eclipsed by Joseph. And Barak gets diminished when we. Turn that story into gender warfare. <laughs> you know who's yeah. Peter and who's who's weak. And um, anyway, I just I, these were stories. Joseph, who's who's married to Mary, um, gets eclipsed by Jesus and and Mary, <laughs> and Matthew <laughs> gets eclipsed by Peter and James and John. And Paul, and these are amazing stories. And I wanted to tell those stories. But when I started to look at that, um, at the same time, in our own culture, things were surfacing and, you know, the rise of women was creating problems for men, a threat to their masculinity. Um, One of the things that shocked me was that experts were saying that young men are being drawn to ISIS and other terrorist and radical groups because they're looking for a sense of meaning and purpose and belonging. And I'm thinking, where are we in this conversation? So anyway... I, you know, when I start to write a book, it always takes me somewhere I didn't expect. And when I started to write Maelstrom, I just wanted to tell those stories. And the whole thing just turned into something entirely different. Um, but their stories are all there and they are transformative. Um,
1: yeah, Yeah. And, and I, and I know Melissa (laughs) has a question that she is ready to ask about this issue, because I think when it comes to the Bible and, and, Gender roles, there's been just a way of perceiving things, and so Melissa, not to steal your thunder, I want you to go ahead and ask that question. That I know <laughs> is a really important question.
2: Sure, no, that's fine, and thank you so much for kind of sharing some of your your background, Carolyn. Um, I too am a pastor's kid, and 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 grew up with very similar understandings. And so, uh, not being single for ten years, instead I got married at nineteen. Um, you know, and of course that was a long, long time ago, but, but still it was that idea that my fulfillment would be found in marriage, uh, and that even my ministry call would be fulfilled in marriage. And and so some of those, those same ideas, um, you know, I experienced as, as I was, as I was growing up and and I do want to ask you, um, about, uh, You, I listened to an interview today actually that you gave, and I was talking about some of your work on Esther, and you made such a great statement in that I wrote it down, and then uh, also discovered in in your book Maelstrom uh, as well. And and the statement that you say is this: Patriarchy is the backdrop of Scripture, not the message. And so I'm wondering if you might be able to, you know, kind of. Define patriarch, patriarchy for, you know, for the listeners, because it is a term that we we use a lot um, and perhaps we don't un- understand it all. And and what you mean by that when you talk about it as a backdrop of scripture and not the message?
0: Patriarchy, the meaning of the word patriarchy, it's father rule. But when you see the manifestations of this, it is a rule of men over women, but also over other men. I mean, I, I, um, we don't see it in the Bible until the fall. Because right. before the fall, God creates male and female to rule and subdue creation together. The rule is outward, and it's for the flourishing of all. And after the fall, that rule turns laterally. And now we have men ruling over women. And the book of Genesis is just permeated with patriarchy, beginning with chapter three. And um, it it creates... uh, rivalry between brothers because one of the one of the well Walter Walter Ruggerman calls it the linchpin of patriarchy is primogeniture and that mm-hmm. is that in the Bible sons in the patri in the patriarchal world in the Bible and also today in intensely in patriarchal cultures, the primacy mm-hmm. of sons is um De- definitive in the culture. Yes. One, one um, Palestinian man whose wife gave birth to a daughter and then she couldn't get pregnant again was desperate. And he said, and this was in the late 20th century, I am nothing in this village without a son. Wow. So, you no, know, women in the Bible who are barren are not praying for daughters. Right. They're they're, they're not praying for children, they're praying for sons. And it is a woman's responsibility under patriarchy to produce sons, to perpetuate the family for another generation. And under patriarchy, women don't have voice or legal rights or mm-hmm. um, agency to make their own decisions. Their identity and their value is gauged by their connections with men. You know, whether mm. it's their father or their husband, but especially their sons, you measure a woman's value by counting her sons. So women who haven't given birth to sons are zeros. Wow. So it's, you know, it's horrible. I mean, in, in the New Testament, Elizabeth talks about her shame. That's what that is. Yes. And it also creates, you know, wars between brothers because, you know, you have Jacob and Esau, you have Ishmael and Isaac, you have, you know, all of Jacob's sons, you have Cain and Abel, you know, so it's, it's not just that men have power over women, it's that they have power over each other. And yeah. I've said it, you know, patriarchy creates an, a, a massive network of power pyramids, and there's very little room at the top, and it's not a safe place to be. Um, but, you know, the you have to have a, a well-populated base. Um, and that's the story. It's a, it's a complete um, disfiguring and... This destroying of God's vision for humanity, and, yeah. And so, um, so when I say patriarchy is not the Bible's message, it's the backdrop to that message. If you use it as a hermeneutical tool, if you work to um, sort of free yourself from a Western American point of view. And learn from people who live in patriarchal cultures. The stories of the Bible and the gospel message explode with power. And um, you know, the you look at something like Mary seated at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. That is a total yawn.er <laughs> In our culture, you know, I mean. Here's, here you are, a professor. You know? <laughs> and, um, but if you took that story to Malala, to the girls in Afghanistan whose education is banned when they turn eight, who get acid thrown in their faces,
1: mm, yeah,
0: would would they love Jesus? <laughs> you know, it's just. But if but if we if we And and we've done this. We look through a Western lens at the stories of the Bible. And so we try to salvage pieces of patriarchy. But if you read the Bible with an understanding of patriarchy, then you can't get through the book of Genesis without patriarchy falling to pieces. Because repeatedly, God doesn't choose son number one. He chooses son number two. He chooses son number eleven. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you
0: know, all the way through, he's overthrowing the system. And because that's they're enmeshed in the patriarchal world, it's cause for murder and human trafficking. You know, Joseph's brother sell him, you know, get rid of him. You know, he's son number 11. He's the firstborn of wife number two. I mean, it's just all wrong. What's happening? And it stirs up fierce jealousy among the brothers. We don't understand that in our culture.
2: That's that's so yeah. true. And we get, of course, stories uh, of women, you know, throughout, throughout Scripture. Granted, uh, not as many as we would like. But as, as you point out, those stories become important. Um, and I know whenever I get opportunities to, to preach, uh, I often like to preach from you know, one of the stories about a woman in scripture, because I just don't think we hear their voices enough or are exposed enough to the stories that that we find. So the Esther and and, and the Ruth. And, you know, I love Martha in the New Testament and Elizabeth and, you know, just um, so many of, of, of these stories that I think are doing exactly what you're talking about, pushing back against that, um, that patriarchal backdrop. And of course, Jesus extending such incredible incredible opportunities, uh, to women, um, is, is just an extraordinary thing. And uh, I don't know that we, we give that enough, um, enough play, uh, in, in our churches. And I think it is really important that we bring, bring those types of things to bear.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of, Women will say the story of Deborah, the story of Esther, or Priscilla, or Junia, had, you know, changed their views of themselves. Um, The one that changed everything for me was Ruth. And mm. Ruth is a zero. She's had 10 years of marriage without a pregnancy. She's... A foreigner in today's world we would call her an Arab. And when she arrives in Bethlehem, we would call her an undocumented immigrant. So she drops hmm. she drops below zero. She ends up being a gleaner, which is like a scavenger. Right. And scholars have said in recent in the more recent work that she's the leader in the story. And her actions are changing the lives of Boaz and Naomi, but they are also significant in moving forward God's purposes for the world, and that's something she would never ever know and When I saw that i that was the end for me I just you know I thought, what have I been thinking? And I, I really don't think the question of women, any question we're asking about women in leadership or women, you know, what what opportunities should they take advantage of? I don't think that's a gender issue. I think it's a stewardship issue. And you know, I've said it before. When I stand before Jesus, I'd rather be explaining why I did too much than why I did too little. You know, know, yeah. I mean. it's it becomes absurd, you know, to say this far and no further. You know, who has the right who has the right to say that? And in the Bible, women, the fact that a woman sets foot on the pages of scripture and the focus zeros in on her is radical. It should never have happened. Especially yeah. some of the ones like Hagar, who's a slave, <laughs> and you know, ins- ends up being thrown away and Ruth, who's completely disqualified by everything in her demographics, and Esther, who is trafficked, you know it, it to the New Testament, you know, Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel begin with the stories of women, you know that are, so, anyway.
1: Yeah. It's it's almost as if you know, like these stories are there and growing up um me growing up, you know, I my 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 dad is also a pastor, so I grew up in the church. Um that's like even as a kid and especially as a male, I would hear stories of you know, Ruth and Esther and, and children's church, of course. I mean, they they typically are like taught more in children's church, I feel like, than they are actually in, <laughs> you know, yeah. church uh, Very in general. But I would hear these stories and then I would have a kind of like the whiplash of, you know, women can't be pastors, women can't be leaders, women can't be these things. And that's when their stories stop being told. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's almost as if we read, I mean, it's very true what we do anyways, we read into the text, what we're already expecting to find. Right. And so since we're expecting to find the patriarchy that we kind of already live in that, of course, that's how it worked in the Bible, because that's just, that's just the way it is. And we stop allowing scripture to actually surprise us and to say, well, actually it's challenging that notion and pushing back on the way that we typically look at it, um, but you said something that I thought was really fascinating, and um, I, I kind of want to get your your thoughts on this. When we do see scripture, and we see scripture actually pushing back against this patriarchy, whether it's patriarchy of kind of males in terms of you know the second born going over the first born or eleventh born, or women who are the leaders, and 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 you know. A few texts, but more than I think we're imagining they they are in um, you said something really interesting about kind of men who were that you in your research were joining you know Isis or were feeling like they had kind of lost their way as men, so to speak, and their masculinity was being challenged yeah why do you think it is and this is like kind of a twofold question why do you think it is for men that when this has been kind of like, Patriarchy is being dismantled to some degree in a healthy way that we see men responding in unhealthy ways such as that. And then the second fold is, what about for women who push back against the dismantling of, of the patriarchy as well? Because I know you know, sometimes it'll be students. Sometimes I've seen it in certain denominations that women are not allowed to preach, that the women will almost sometimes be the most vocal about women not being allowed to preach or women not being the leaders of the household. So maybe if you can help interplay both those and get your opinions on those, it'd be helpful.
0: Yeah. I, you know, the, the problem with the, the masculinity manhood question is that we offer men a definition of masculinity that can be can be out of reach or is something in that you have to earn. um, Or, you know, that, you know, some men are not interested in, in that definition. And, you know, they, it's, it's, it's very fragile. And, mm. you know, with the ISIS, they, you know, they were saying you can go from overnight from being a nobody to being a headache to the most powerful leaders in the world. Huh. And, you know, so they become, they be, you know, they feel like they're real men. and, I believe the Bible offers us a definition of masculinity and femininity that is a birthright and that cannot be taken away from you, that you can um, violate it. You can ignore it or you can live into it, but it's it's yours, Mm. you know, and that's. That's what I was looking for as a woman. Is there a definition of what it means to be a woman that nothing can take away from me? That I am born with. That it's not about walking down the aisle when I'm an adult. Right. I I'm born with that calling. And yes. Um and and nobody can take it away from me. And you know, if if women are abused and trafficked, the violation against them is all the more egregious because it violates their calling and the calling that we all share is to be God's image bearers. And there is no higher calling, you know, than, you know, all this manhood stuff or the feminism stuff is, is, is a, is below that because we are called to know and reflect and represent our creator. And I do that as a woman and you do that as a man, <laughs> you know, it's not, <laughs> but it's, right. that's what I've seen in the stories of these women and men in the Bible is that you see a whole new way of being a man that is gospel, that is a reflection of the heart of God. And it's not about being, you know, David, the warrior, who's out there, you know, leading fierce blood battles against other people and, you know, causing the death of Uriah. And it's, it's not about muscles. (laughs) It's about (laughs) about, it's about the kingdom. It's about the gospel. And, you know, I found in the stories of these men, an awakening to a masculinity that is, that is, that is looking out for others. You know, men have power and privilege, and these men use their power and privilege. They don't shed it. They use it to empower and bless others. Hmm. You know, it's 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 a whole new way. We've lost it, you know, because like I said, the only pre-fall information we have is Genesis one and two. And I like I talk about this in Maelstrom, that there's a missing chapter in the Bible. It's between chapter two and three, where we Mm. never get we never get to see what unfallen image image bearer looks like until we get to Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we're sort of feeling our way through the dark. And what we're doing is reaching for cultural definitions of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. And And they lower the bar for all of us because we're called to, to live sacrificially for the good of others. We're called to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves to invest ourselves in, in God's purposes. And, you know, it, it calls us to a whole new way of being that, that we're still feeling our way through, you know, that it's, But it's certainly not patriarchy, and it's certainly not a gender war it's it's right you know in Genesis two, we learned that men need their sisters. God says it's not good for the man to be alone, and we we reduce that to marriage, but it's a blanket statement. there are no parameters to that, and so for women to strive to use all the gifts and um, opportunities and privileges that we have should be blessing our brothers, um, should be um, infusing strength and courage into them, not, you know, swinging a pendulum of power from one gender to the other. It's, you know, I think we've got more work to do to understand yeah. what this is, but yeah, I, I I definitely think we do. I, I think
2: some of the you know the way that we um, often read scripture or how I often hear it talked about in 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 some circles is we really read through Genesis three rather than reading through Genesis one and two and and particularly the um, the the talk about. God creating male and female in his image. And as you said, tasking them with the same uh, task of, of, of stewardship. And, um, you know, there's no Adam, you do this and Eve, you do this. I know they're not named yet in Genesis one, but, you know, there, there's no kind of differentiation of roles. They are kind of given the same purpose. But, but when we kind of ignore that and read through Genesis three, we are almost, you um, giving patriarchy, a divine sanction. And I don't think it was ever meant, uh, to be that, as you have said. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, Carolyn, um, cause I'm thinking through everything you're saying and it, and it's so, so good. And then I think of my own kind of, of, of tradition, um, where, uh, so much of the reason why women are denied ordination, which is a, a big issue in, in my denomination, um, it, it's put to scripture. So it is Paul's two injunctions in first Corinthians 11. Uh, I'm sorry, first Corinthians 14 and first and Timothy two. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm curious how you uh, try to help people navigate through, you know, hermeneutically through texts that seem to be so strong um, in light of uh, some of these other things that you have been lifting up about the importance of, of being, um, you know, image bearers and mutual flourishing and all of those types of things, when these two texts often kind of trump all of that, what, what's kind of the way
0: forward uh, from your perspective? Well, I would say two things. One is I think we are all ordained in Genesis 1 and 2. <laughs> and you know we are called we are all called and we're called together and um but but the other thing is the the way we look at paul detaches him from his world paul paul and the other apostles responsibility was to take the gospel of jesus into the 1st century and our responsibility is to take it into the twenty first century, yes. and people have this mental picture of Paul holding focus on the family marriage conferences with cute little couples <laughs> sitting around but in the in the in the first century church, you had a majority of women you had Marriages that involved two and three and four wives. You had marriages that involved believing believing women and unbelieving men. You had a situation where men had total power over their wives. They could divorce them and put them out on the street to fend for themselves. Um, You know, there there are situations where in cultures today where, you know, abuse of a wife, violence against a wife is totally expected and accepted. you know, so some of the injunctions that we're hearing in, you know, the advice that's being given to wives is um, to protect them. And, you know, the, 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 um, the movement of wives from a culture like what you have in Pakistan and Afghanistan, where women aren't educated, and now they're being educated is, you know, earth shaking and destabilizing right. in the culture. And so the encouragement for women to learn is, is revolutionary. I mean, that's what I'm saying. If you look at the, if you look at the text through the lens of, the culture, you know, nobody is hopping up and down and saying, you know, women are wearing pearls to church. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's um, this is why as a hermeneutical tool, um, patriarchy is essential and you cannot understand the Bible. We We do all kinds of gymnastics with the Bible. When we just look at it from a Western point of view, and you know, instead of unleashing the gifts and the power of the gospel in the church, we're cautioning and we're holding back. And so, it's you. If you're ordained officially, you have more important ministry to do than someone who's out gleaning in the fields as an undocumented immigrant. Um, You know, I don't think we know where the most important things are taking place, but we underestimate God's spirit and what God is doing in the world when we limit it in any respect. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. And I think there are some very explosive statements that get made in Genesis one and two, and that's God's vision and that's what Jesus came to restore. Um, and no one can be, uh, we can't, we can't afford to lose anyone in this mission. It's bigger than our little band of (laughs) believers. Right. You know, so it's just, I'm done with all of that. You know, I just think Stop it. <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, we've got work to do. We've got work to do.
1: Yeah. I definitely think that there's that problem with scripture that a lot of people have because they still hold to this, you know, perspicuity of scripture. Like this kind of understanding like I don't need to know the culture. I don't need to know the context. If right. the Bible says it plainly. That's right. the way that I see it it must be plain. It must be because God wouldn't want to confuse us. So why would we need all that extra stuff to help us understand his word? Yeah. As if God's word is so basic that it wouldn't demand deep study.
0: Well, there's, I mean, there's so, if you look at the story of Judah and Tamar through, against the background of patriarchy, He becomes such a bad (laughs) dude and, you know, because he's, he's trafficked his brother. He's, you know, driven by jealousy that's provoked by primogeniture, which we don't even think about. Um, And then you look at what happens to him when he collides with Tamar, who is... Not getting even, she's rescuing her dead husband from extinction by providing an heir to take his empty place on the family tree. And, yeah, and what happens to Judah when he is confronted with his his own wickedness, really, you know I mean, who wants to execute her for a crime he's participated in? And yeah. he says, She is righteous, I am not. Mm. And we can hardly stomach that statement, you know, so we so we you know nuance it to him saying she's she's more righteous than I am. It's not what he's saying. And the transformation in him is the turning point in the in the book of Genesis. Mm. It is the pivotal moment where the Gospel takes hold of this man and in in his meeting with his brother Joseph, he is willing before he knows it's Joseph to lay down his life for Benjamin, who is now his father's favorite. Mm. It is mm, such yeah. a gospel moment. I cannot read Judah's statement to Joseph without weeping. Mm. Uh, you know, I love this man. He He gives us such a radical picture of the gospel's grip on a man and what it does to his soul. And we miss it. We totally miss it when we don't understand the patriarchal backdrop.
1: Oh, that's that's really good. It's it's hard to like it's hard to like process, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of the person that I'm like constantly thinking, okay, how is someone gonna take this and just argue? And and I think it's because I'm constantly trying to like defend ideas, but I think with something like this, you know, there's such a beauty and truth in those stories oh, yeah. that they really reach into you in ways that that no argument can.
0: The gospel is supposed to transform us in such radical ways that the, that the world will sit up and take note that Jesus has been here. You know, mm. and our little hanging on to... Control of leadership and patriarchy isn't doing that. Yeah, it's not doing that, and uh, we don't understand how radical the gospel is. But I have to tell you, these men in in Maelstrom brought me to my knees, and um, you know, the ones we focus on are Joseph and David and Joshua, and you know, and Miss the power of the, of the gospel in how it transforms lives and um, brings a healing breath of fresh air into the lives of other people. And, you know, Boaz is another one, very powerful man, and he learns from this undocumented immigrant who looks at the law from the hungry side <laughs> mm-hmm. and it reads differently from there. You know, the law is meant to help the poor and, you know, the powerless and, um, and Boaz is, is following the letter of the law and she leads him to the spirit of the law. It's like, it's like the women on the Mount in the old Testament. It's just Profound. I mean, he—it's so beautiful, and you know, we look at him as Prince Charming and the guy who gets the girl, and it's such a uh, trashing of his story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh well, I, I will encourage absolutely everyone to go and pick up that book and to. Uh, to go pick up Maelstrom and to be challenged by, I think, the gospel as it renegotiates the way in which we engage with each with each other in this kind of image bear reality of being people in the image of God and what that means first, like you said, what that means first before gender um, as, as the primary place of what we're supposed to be as people. That was, um, so very good. Thank you so much for that conversation before we let you go though. Is there any other kind of works or any other way that people can connect with you with the work that you're doing, um, and keep up to date with, uh, this really beautiful and necessary for our time work that you're doing?
0: Yeah, I have several other books out and, um, I would hope, you know, half the church and um the Gospel of Ruth and finding God in the margins that people would pick up those books I, you know we've barely scratched the surface of um, <laughs> of what you know can be said about all of this. um the whole question of the woman as the Azer is um. You know, one of the things I, I'm known for because it's it's military language. It's very powerful um, in Genesis, two, But my website is carolyncustisjames.com. They can find me there and my books are there. And um, yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for the opportunity to to talk about patriarchy and because it's so important to our understanding
1: well no thank you for for being with us and um i hope that you know even through this podcast we'll keep that conversation going and maybe we'll even have you back at some point to bring up some more of those important points Mm. um, because it's such a necessary conversation so thanks again for being with us melissa thank you for joining me this time thank you Um, aaron it's been really beautiful for me and I hope our listeners really kind of grab something out of this, at least challenge to some degree to kind of push forward. So thank you both.